everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Podcast. I'm Sarah Sash. And I'm Andrew Campbell. We're back here for another episode at the Chateau Laurier in Ottawa, where the Dairy Farmers of Canada are holding their annual policy conference. What a great building and what a great spot to be kind of, you know, right in the heart of federal politics in Ottawa, Sarah. Indeed, there is a lot to see and you really get the sense of what's going on in Ottawa and the feel of it here. So it's just great to be back in person and uh, participating with with producers from across the country once again. Now, one of the things that came up today was obviously the environmental sustainability pillar, Sarah. Um, this has been a conversation for, I mean, years, but obviously, you know, pushing much harder, you know, since net zero. What were some of the things coming in that you were hoping to find out? Well, I think everyone's been really looking forward to the big reveal today of the uh, best management practices guide to mitigate emissions on dairy farms. So uh, I was pretty excited to finally see that thing and we're going to talk about it. We are. What a great segue because we have two great guests who have been part of this process and we're part of the panel today uh, talking about what this best management practice guide to mitigate emissions on dairy farms looks like. Uh, we've got Fawn, we've got uh, JP. That's what's next on the Canadian Podcast. Our two guests today joining us on the Canadian Podcast include Fawn Jackson. Fawn is with the Dairy Farmers of Canada and joined last year as Chief Sustainability Officer. We've also got J.P. Brower. J.P. is a dairy farmer from Alberta, was involved in the uh, group of farmers consulting on this project. Fawn, J.P., thanks very much for joining the podcast today. Hi. Thanks for having us. Um, J.P., maybe we can actually start with you as the farmer um, on the panel today. Um, tell us a little bit about your farm. Yeah, uh, we're located in central Alberta. We, uh, it's a, it's a, Partnership farm. I farm with a total of three brothers. I'm one of the brothers, uh, and my parents. Um, we milk three seventy-five cows, um, and uh, I think the the partnership's really healthy because it allows me to engage with industry in other areas, um, like I am here in Ottawa today. And the farm is still running, so that's really nice. Um, other than that, I uh, we've been involved with fairly innovative practices. I think largely due to uh, proximity to some of the research uh, universities um, and their desire to, and our, I guess, um, inability to say no to their desire to have projects on our farm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is that basically, you know, those innovative products? Like what, what really draws you to this environmental component and this drive to net zero? Yeah, um, uh, actually, I, I see the, the, the initiative as a whole, um, benefiting dairy farmers beyond uh, just the greenhouse um, net zero goal. I think that every single practice that I have looked at in the best management um, pr practices proposal, um, which is entirely voluntary, uh, I don't know why they wouldn't get serious consideration. Each, each of them. I mean, some of us aren't going to do all of them. I, I mentioned uh, today uh, that I, I'm not that interested in doing grazing. Uh, it doesn't really fit the Alberta climate that well. Uh, it doesn't fit our management style that well. Uh, I guess I won't say never, but it's highly unlikely. But 
So I'm just going to jump back a little bit here and make sure that our listeners can tell uh, that Fawn's with us. <laughs> so Fawn, you've been with DFC for about a year. Can you tell us a bit about your role there? And then we'll jump into this content that JP's talking about. Sure. So I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer at DFC. And there's three main parts to the role, or three main teams that I get to work with. There is the research team. Um, there is the sustainability team, which worked on this. And then there's the proaction and on-farm production team, um, which does everything from traceability to the code uh, to animal health and proaction. So that's what I get to do at DFC. Big launch today, Fawn. Exciting uh, day. It's, yes. it's a big day because here, uh, you know, as we said, we're at the annual policy conference for DFC and hot off the presses, it's still warm, is this best management practices guide to mitigate emissions on dairy farms. Now, I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak at a few different meetings over kind of, you know, since you started with Chief Sustainability mm -hmm. Officer. Um, they really kind of threw you into the deep end, going right. to all of these meetings to talk about this environmental component. And this is one of the things that you talked about was coming. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you've come to this and, and what is in this guide? Yeah, I would say at all of those meetings, the thing that you always hear from our producers is, yes, we care very much about the environment. Yes, we're glad that we're being leaders. Now, can you tell me what you actually want me to do? <laughs> and so that's what this guide really does, is it offers 30 best management practices that all contribute to reducing greenhouse gases, but as JP mentioned, also often have many other benefits, whether it's to biodiversity or water or production efficiency, um, these sorts of things. Uh, and, and so 30 options of people um, that people can take a look at and say, yep, that would be a really great fit for my farm. You have the ability to click on some additional resources. You have some farmer testimonials. And I guess the key part that I would say is this is just the start, right? Like this is putting it down, putting it out there. Here's the options today. And now we need to get this information even further into farmers' hands. So look out in the future for uh, webinars, for perhaps, you know, some peer-to-peer -peer learning opportunities, for, um, you know, opportunities to connect with researchers because uh, we're really just getting started on this and we're really excited to see where uh, it's going to go. I also wanted to mention that JP did say these are voluntary and so some of the BMPs are going to be an awesome fit for your operation. Some of the BMPs you're already doing, many of the BMPs you're already going to be doing in some capacity, and some aren't going to be a fit, and that's completely okay, and we actually really appreciate that feedback too, um, because I always say that um, once you tell a farmer a goal, they're going to figure out how to do it, and um, if you can let us know what the obstacles are in your way, we'd be more than happy to uh, get them out of the way for you to do that practice on your uh, farm. So I uh, really appreciate the feedback that we get from the farmer community. So when we talk about a goal, um, there's this goal out there of net zero by 2050. And I'll throw it to JP first, just from a producer perspective, and then maybe you could weigh in as well. But why net zero? What is it that, I mean, we know the federal government's talking about it, processors are talking about it. For you as a producer and you as someone working in the industry, why net zero and why should we do this now? Yeah, um, uh, the, the concern is that, that dairy farmers on, 
as an industry are having a harmful impact on environment, at least in some areas. Uh, and um, greenhouse gas emissions is something that is talked about globally as a concern for everyone. Uh, and the public has uh, indicated that they don't like that side of the dairy industry. And I think we have an opportunity here to say that um, we have environmental impacts that we can make um, less harmful, we can improve on. Uh, I think it's uh, being very open with the public and saying, yeah, we can work on things, we can improve. Uh, and this initiative uh, allows um, practices to be put into place that don't just improve greenhouse gas emissions, but are appealing to farmers to implement that impact other areas of environment and economically. Yeah, completely agree. Consumers care about this, so they're buying our products, so we better care about it too. And handily enough, we do care about it, right? So I think there's this really lovely merging of priorities. Um, but there's other reasons for us to, to be doing this, of course, beyond the, the consumer. Much of our supply chain has also made similar commitments. And we want to make sure um, that we find opportunities in these commitments. So this really does become an opportunity for uh, the dairy sector and not something that becomes, you know, this really heavy cost to us because we tackle it too late or because, you know, we don't want to talk about it at all. And, well, too bad, you know, maybe our financial institutions are saying, hey, no, you have to give us some information on this. So, you know, I would say there's that sort of getting ahead of what's coming around uh, the corner as as well, but I would also go back to the point that JP made at the start is, you know, every single one of these uh, BMPs is also hopefully very closely tied to economic well-being, and so we're not, you know, doing this solely out of the kindness of our hearts, but also for the goodness of, you know, our bottom lines, and so I always say that um, if we're putting forward BMPs that don't make economic sense, that's a signal to our team, to the researchers, to the policy community that we have to go back and figure out how to make it e make economic sense because these are businesses and um, you know we we do business and, and we have to do that and we also have to take care of the environment. So when we can find spots that overlap, that's where you know really the the sweet spot is. And I just to jump back in myself, if it's I, I'm sounding like I bought in hook, line, and sinker, and I, I think by and large I have, but but that doesn't doesn't mean I didn't have my reservations to start with. I was very uh, concerned about what's going on, how mandatory is this, uh, am I going to like anything that comes out of it? But you guys have set it up as a real win-win. Great. Yeah, which and certainly you know when when you look through this guide that is available from the DFC website. It is, um, you know, like the nice thing that within the chart, it actually shows here's here's the percentage of uh, producers that are already doing these things. And out of the 30, I think there's only one that doesn't have at least like 20%, if not up to 50% of producers already doing. So it's, so it's not new territory. JP, you mentioned, you know, off the bat that, you know, okay, grazing might not be one of the things that you'd be interested in doing. What are some of the things you are interested in doing out of this book? Um, or already doing? Yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to maybe what farmers in general, and, and we on our farm for sure are already doing, and that's um, 
producing milk more efficiently. Like we're aiming for higher, higher producing cows. Um, we're aiming for um, feed efficiency itself. We see that now in our breeding uh, selection as a criteria we can target. Uh, that, that impacts us as, as impacting GHG. Um, I, I heard uh, a bit of a story that, that some producers were saying, I'm not gonna do this. Well, you already are doing some of these things. Uh, you want to make more money at the end of the day, and some of the things that make you more money at the end of the day are, are going to cause you to engage with, with these activities. Uh, one of the maybe more unique ones that we're engaged with is, uh, and I think everyone could look into it a bit more, is emptying your lagoon more frequently. Um, we see the nitrogen volatilization, nitrogen is gassing off. We want to capture it, so we try to put it on the land a bit more often. Yeah, there's a cost, but there's a cost of spreading manure anyways. Um, so those, those kinds of things, if you start to dig into what's proposed, you, and, and really read it, you might say, oh, hey, why haven't I considered that? And that's what I'm hoping farmers will do. So if you don't have a copy yet, um, which you will have in your inbox or on the website, like we say, you don't have to have the hard copy to do this. Um, Fawn, can you cover what the actual segments are of the best management practices? You've divided them into categories, and we've talked a bit about the different beneficial management practices, but can you just fill us in on the categories um, before we continue on? Yeah, sure, and maybe I can even give you um, an example in each one. Uh, so we have livestock management, and one of the BMPs in there is improving feed efficiency. Uh, we have feed production as the second uh, category, and uh, incorporating perennials is an option in there. Of course, there's many in each category, but I'll give you sort of one in each one. Uh, we have manure management, uh, and in there we have as an option in-vessel manure composting. Uh, the fourth is energy infrastructure and uh, transportation. And in there, as an example, we have um, converting to alternatively powered uh, machinery, which maybe that's a few years down the road, but you know, I think sort of tweaks the interest of, of some farmers that I've spoken to. Uh, land management, uh, we have in there, uh, for example, um, protecting riparian buffer zones. So lots of uh, options underneath each one of those categories. And then also in that guide, um, you know, earlier on, and you showed it in your presentation today, was the graph that says, here's what our emissions are at today. Um, here's, you know, with a few reductions where we, or I shouldn't say today, 2016. Then here's with a few reductions. Here's where we are at in 2023. Here's where we can be at 2030. Here's where we need to be to be at net zero in 2050. And, um, you know, with that, part of that is not just there are zero emissions. There's still emissions, but there's, all, uh, there's ways that we're, all, we're also crediting those emissions to do. That, that's what the graph is. Can you talk a little bit about how, how, where those numbers come from um, and, and, and what the projection is in terms of, you know, is it all of these things that need to be done in order to get to that net zero, or is it the combination as you've talked about? Yeah, so first of all, the numbers really come from two main studies. So every five years, uh, right after StatsCan releases their updated statistics, then we take all of that information and we do a national life cycle assessment. And that is where we get the number of, um, you know, it is, uh, this much to produce this much milk. So this is why we know that we're less than 1% of Canada's total um, and that we're one of the best um, greenhouse gas, lowest greenhouse gas uh, emitters in terms of milk production in the world. 
So then what we did was we worked uh, with Veresco Solutions to say, okay, well, what if we map out, uh, if we uptook a whole bunch more best management practices, the ones that we know exist today, I would also note that this isn't guessing as to what technology is going to be um, in the next 50 years, where could we get to? And what we were able to see is that actually we could get, get there with what we have available uh, today. And, you know, I think that um, that's, that's really exciting, but it gets me extra excited when I think about, well, what else is coming down you know, in the pipeline? And just today, Deborah from Lactonet was talking about the launch of their uh, genetic indicator for methane. You know, it's the first in the world uh, to have a national indicator like this. Um, you know, it's just amazing. Canada's really at the forefront of sustainable agriculture, and I think um, we, we will continue uh, to be. And another piece that actually isn't included in the number calculation as of right now is um, feed additives. And we know that there's, yes, they're not here right now, but they're coming and they have really significant um, improvements. So we know that we're probably not going to be able to get our emissions right down to zero. <laughs> a cow's a cow. Um, but we also know that lands um, that we manage sequester carbon, um, sort of different levels of sequestration sort of happen across Canada. But I would also say that carbon sequestration is a relatively new area of research, and we're getting a lot better at understanding it. Um, I think we really understand what it is at its sort of peak, but then how we get it back up after it's been broken into agricultural land uh, is something that I think there's lots more research to come in that in the coming years. Well, there's no shortage of stuff to talk about here um, with the both of you. So we're going to take a quick break um, and then we'll get back into it talking about implementing best management practices on the farm. As a chef, I like composting because it gives back to the earth. Hey Aaron, how do dairy farmers help protect the planet? On my farm, I compost manure. This helps reduce the carbon footprint of milk production. Plus, manure makes for richer soil, which can help grow crops. So it's like the circle of life. Yeah, we're working towards a more sustainable future. I'm in. Are you? I'm in. That's Dairy Farming Forward. Dairy Farmers of Canada. Net zero by 2050. All right, we're back with Fawn and JP. Now, JP, it was mentioned uh, on the stage uh, this afternoon when you were talking that you were part of the committee, the farmer, and you're going to have to help me with the name of it. Advisory the group. Advisory sure. group. Yep. Doing that, looking. I never knew the real name. <laughs> but, but you were part of that. So, yeah. so maybe you can kind of walk through a little bit in terms of, you know, you've got kind of all these competing interests coming in. Um, you know, fr from your view, you know, how has this evolved to a point where you think this is something that can be adopted and accepted by the vast majority of Canadian farmers? So why did I care? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, I, to be honest, my skepticism. Like I was, I was, I, I thought, what are they going to do? What is go? What is going to happen? How bad is this going to be? Uh, is this really going to benefit us? Like I was, I was a real skeptic. Yeah, for You're sure. Going to yell at someone. Yeah. Well, no, no, I don't. That doesn't get you anywhere. But oh, whatever. I, I was in there to express my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, that's that's why I cared. But then, obviously, through that, that skepticism has, like, apparently today turned into, like, you're, as the, as the DFC commercials say, you're in, um, you know, on a lot of this. Is that fair? Yeah. 
Ish. It's it's fairish. Fairish. Um, Ish. Well, I, I maybe I can step. In. You're you're in on um, on 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 the BMPs and yeah. realizing that efficiency is really tied to. Um, to economics and environmental benefits that go along with it. And so yeah, I, that we really need to tie the two together. Yeah. And, and just looking through it, like as you mentioned just before the break, like these are, these are all things that already exist. Like what, what blows me away is how many other industries are making commitments saying the technology will be there in 30 years. We don't have to worry. Like we're in a position where, as you said, like we, we've got the practices, we've got the data, now we have kind of the best management practices to prove it, where we could get there and then still do better with what happens in the next 25 years. Yeah, I also would say, you know, to add some realism to it, I suppose, or to not oversell it, this is a hard task. And uh, I was talking with one of Canada's top researchers in the area, and uh, he was speaking right after me at, at a conference, and I said, what are you going to tell them about the net zero goal and whether you know it's possible for us to uh, reach it or not? And he said, well, Fawn, you have set out to climb Mount Everest, and whether you make it to the top or whether you make it three quarters of the way there, it's way better than sitting on the couch. And I was like, you don't know how big of an impact that just had on me because, you know, it really adds meaning to, to the work, right? We're all connected to the land. We're all connected to passing down our farms to next generations. Um, and, and this is really tied to that. So, you know, yeah, we are going to try our best. And, you know, whether we make it to the top of Everest or whether we make it up three quarters of the way there, I'm going to be really, really proud of what we've accomplished. So I know you touched on a few of the BMPs earlier when you were talking about the categories, but there's over 30 in there. And I know Andrew and I, as we received the book this afternoon, quickly like <laughs> whip it open to the page that shows them all. And you can't tell me as a producer that you weren't sitting there scanning through being like, how hard is this going to be? And what's it going to mean to me and my farm? And it's true that just looking at that sheet, you can see, OK, yeah, I do that. I do some of this. I do some of that. Oh, that's something that I've thought about or might do. So can you speak to the you know, there's no one way to do this, and we constantly hear that in the dairy industry. But in terms of making this part of things work, what does it look like? How do you foresee farms taking this up farm to farm to farm? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I remember when I first started at uh, DFC and back in July, uh, we were calling this an implementation guide. And I was like... <laughs> I, it sort of made me freeze because I was like, I'm sorry, we're coming up with one guide for all of Canada, right? And I mean, that was never the the intent. Um, so we just sort of switched the name out and really made clear that these are options for different farmers to uh, invest and investigate as to whether it's a good option for them because every farm in Canada is so different. And so, um, you know, we really recognize that and we really recognize that we need to have different tools for different uh, operations. So that's uh, that's the key behind why there's so many options in there and why, you know, really upfront, I want to say some of these are not going to be good for you, right? Some, it's not a good idea to put an anaerobic digester everywhere. Um, and in some places it might work. So I think um, having that full information for people to make those decisions for themselves is really what we're trying to support. Then just to kind of wrap up, then in terms of like, verification or validation or whatever you want to call it like 
you know, we're at, you know, ground zero right now. And as, you know, Sarah's a farmer, me as a farmer, JP as a farmer, start implementing these, um, you know, what types of things do we need to be doing? Are you following up with this? Like, how will you know the progress as it's made on individual farms? Yeah, that's such a great question because um, I feel when I'm visiting with folks that there's this really keen interest that people want to know, yeah, but what is my farm's greenhouse gas footprint? <laughs> like, tell me how I'm doing, Vaughn, right? And so um, I was really excited that Lactinet has come up with their herd sustainability index, which I think can give you a really, if you're working with Lactinet, can give you a key sort of, of where you stand in terms of sustainability. Uh, sustainability and that's going to be available nationally um, in in April it's in Quebec in the Maritimes right now so I I do encourage people to take a peek at that um, and I understand that that number is going to be published three times uh, a year we are also looking at an individual farm calculator that people could again voluntarily utilize if they so chose and we're trying to make it super easy for farmers to use but I'm going to be really honest with you, these tools are not easy right now. They're not fun to use. I mean, maybe it's fun if you're a researcher and you have a whole bunch of time uh, to really dig into this, um, but it's a lot of data input. It's a lot of um, understanding the numbers behind at this point. So, you know, I'm pretty hesitant, I would say, to put that out there before it's a lot easier to use because I really don't want farmers to go, well, to heck with this. This was such a pain in, in the butt. So I will just make one point, and then I, I'd love to hear JP's um, views on, on those two uh, tools, is that we are really, really trying to keep the data side at the national level so that you as a farmer do not have to fill in, you know, this processor wants this information, this retailer wants this information. We have national data that is super robust. It's in our life cycle assessment. It's cross-referenced with different data sources. We have our BMPs um, that help inform that, uh, and so that that's really where the data piece stays. Uh, and you know, maybe somewhere down the road, um, you know, we have more individual numbers, but I think we're quite a ways off from that. And I, I think it would take quite a bit to convince me that that's the direction that we need to, to go. But um, JP, I don't know if you've had a chance to either uh, take a look at the herd sustainability index at Lactinet or any individual calculators or, or whether that's something you want. Yeah, we, we were asked to look at a few of the individual calculators uh, in the advisory group. Um, and I, I, the, the time required to do a proper job, I don't, I don't know many farms that would, would get you the right answer, like actually put in the effort to do the right thing and give the right answer. So, and, and that was a concern that was expressed is data integrity. Um, if people are gonna do the paperwork, how much paperwork is it? And, and that whole burden. We're tired of paperwork as dairy farmers enough already. Uh, we got over it because we see what ProAction does for us and what it's doing for the industry. Um, but we don't want more. Um, that was a big hang up. And a key point for us on the whole sustainability journey means not more paperwork. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about positive things, about how great this is going to be. And I do want to hear from you about what you think is going to be the easiest stuff for us to do. But I'm also curious about what you think the biggest challenge for dairy farmers is uh, going into this. So maybe JP, we'll start with you. Um, 
I, th I think one of the big challenges, and maybe the biggest one, is getting, like, taking time as producers to look this over, um, to read through it, uh, not just brush it off, not just have it sit on your counter or sit in the trash can, uh, uh, if that's as far as you want to go with it, um, but to really sit down and, and grasp it. If you look at it and start flipping through, I think you'll quickly pick out some easy, easy pickings. Uh, and then you can move on to some more challenging um, as aspects of it. Um, I'll, I can share as well, like where our farm has a solar proposal on our desk right now to look at. And that was again before this came out, so kind of interesting that it does sort of line up. Um, but we're looking at it, uh, we're looking at practices that pay for themselves. Practices that might not pay for themselves on your farm they'll have a lot more resistance, I think. And I think those are ones that we ourselves have chosen not to look into more. Yeah, for easy ones, my eyes right now are just going over the uh, best management practices that have a high estimated return on investment, because I think those are the ones where we see, of course, our farmers be able to lean into. And a lot of those are in livestock management. They're things that we do, like optimizing animal health or enhancing herd genetics or improving feed uh, efficiency. Of course, these are things that aren't just tied to greenhouse gas emissions, but are tied to having a good operation, right? So um, I think those are sort of easier ones to lean into because there's already already such an amazing knowledge base within the farmer community, right? So you're sort of building on that. I think also, you know, we heard today um, one of the researchers from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, uh, Andrew, on our, our panel, talk about some of the manure options. And, you know, a, some of them have sort of a lower return on investment, but I would say they have a really high greenhouse gas mitigation potential. So when we're looking at covering manure storage as an example, and he said, you know, manure is really giving off emissions three months a year. Uh, to me, I'm like, well, this is, let's just deal with this, right? <laughs> like put, put a lid on it over those three months and let's keep on, keep on going. Um, of course, it's more complex than, than that and some of the you know, the plastic costs a fair chunk to uh, to do that, and there's logistical challenges with some of the straw, but I think that that also speaks to there's probably um, some uh, future research coming in that area that's going to be really uh, exciting. So, you know, I think those are the ones that I, I think are sort of easier to lean into. Some of the ones that I think are a little bit harder, um, you know, I think there's grazing is put on the table and we heard JP say, well, that's not really a great fit here, you know, within, within Canada and, you know, maybe in your two different parts of the world too, you know, whether that's a fit in. So, you know, I think there's some that'll have maybe a niche uptake, um, but uh, others that are going to have really big uptake. And also, you know, we spoke about anaerobic digesters, you know, a fit for some folks and really not a fit for others. So, uh, everybody needs to consider what is good for their operation and how you know their operation works. So then we've got this guide, we've got all the information, as you mentioned, it's on the DFC website, it was emailed, like that's the places to find it? Yes, find it on the DFC website, there is a sustainability hub there now, uh, and we'll uh, keep your eye on it too, because there's, as I said earlier, this is the, the start, there's more uh, coming. Awesome. Well, JP Fawn, thanks so much for your work on this and for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of the Canadian Podcast Recording 
live at the DFC Policy Conference in Ottawa. Which was a fantastic day, lots of great speakers, uh, great to have some conversations with lots of producers from across the country. Like, coming away from this meeting today, Sarah, what's, what's kind of the big takeaway that you're taking home to the farm in BC? Well, I think when I look at the, the guide specifically, um, we've finally seen this new Net Zero by 2050 Beneficial Management Practice Guide. And for me, just the conversations that started off, like you could see along our table even, that people were starting to say, oh yeah, I do that, I do this. You know, looking at it and, and thinking about it that way. So I think the more we can be talking about these things just amongst ourselves and learning from others. Um, we heard a lot about collaboration today, about connecting with uh, mentors and peers and finding a way forward that way. Um, I think all those things were really positive. And for me, that's something I'll take home and think more about. Mm -hmm. Well, and certainly, like, when you do, when you do flip through the guide, I, I'm actually very impressed with Vaughn and her team, um, you know, everyone at DFC that worked on this, because it, it's actually, for how much information there is, it's really, like, it's really easy to digest because here's the definition of what we're talking about. Um, you know, here's the benefits of it. Here's whether it's a high return or a low return on investment. Here's the impact on emissions. Here's more resources. And with all of that, just, just done nice and clean. So I think it is something that, you know, from, from conversations I've had with producers that have been concerned or, or or had some concerns I think I think this lays out at least you know probably doesn't ease all of them yeah. but at least does you know give give some real meat and some real definition to what we're talking about and we didn't get into this with Fawn and JP that much but I think that the fact you know we we're always talking about profitability ultimately at the end of the day and the guide is respectful of that it includes the ROI on the num on all of these different BMPs and classes it and uh, helps us to look at it that way too. So I think there is an economic benefit as well as environmental benefit. There's different ways to go about it and uh, it's not just oblivious to those facts. Well, certainly it was wonderful to meet you in person, Sarah. This has been a lot of fun to do these episodes live from Ottawa. And of course, thanks to our production team, we've got Bruce Sargent and Carl Belanger uh, who have helped and here as well. Great to meet them. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, DFC. And thank you, Andrew. Uh, Bruce has been incredibly patient with us in this live uh, situation. So big thanks to him and thanks to everyone for listening. Let's get back together soon and do another episode of the Canadian Podcast.